Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And we are so delighted to have Yang Huang here with us, the author um, who grew up in China and has lived in the United States since 1990. Her novel, My Good Son, which I just read and loved, mm -hmm. uh, won the UNO Press Publishing Lab Prize. Her linked story collection, My Old Faithful, won the Juniper Prize. And her debut novel, Living Treasures, won the Nautilus Book Award Sil Silver Medal. She works for the University of California, Berkeley, and lives in the Bay Area with her family. So, Yang, welcome. Thank you, Elizabeth Angie. I'm so excited to talk with you. We're, so We're excited to talk with you. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, quickly first, um, Angie, what are you working on? Uh, so many things, um, but still just prepping for, we're going to have a screening this weekend. Very excited for that. And, um, outdoor, outdoor. <laughs> so I'm blowing up giant screens. I did not understand really what 20 foot diagonal meant. Really big, really big. So working on that and, uh, it's supposed to be windy. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be freezing outside, but we'll be outside. Um, and I have actually been mostly, um, getting to do a lot of reading, which in, in truth, like I, I love reading. I mean, reading is the reason I became a writer. So <laughs> it's always easier, easier to read than to write. Um, and, and equally pleasurable. So that's mostly what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, and brainstorming in, in my writing mode. So, and how about you? Uh, oh, first of all, yeah. congratulations to you both. That, that's yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The work to launch a book is pretty intense. There are a lot yeah. of logistical things. Um, I'm excited. I will have an audiobook this time. And oh. Today, I found out my book was reviewed in New York Times. <gasps> Ooh, yay! That's so exciting. Thank you. And I want to work on personal essay when I have a bit more time. Mm -hmm. And I also have a finished novel that I would like to query again. I'm going to the community writers and Suwannee writers conferences this summer. So I'm planning for those too. And mm -hmm. is that um, going to be online or in person? The one is in person. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. That would be an adventure. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Other people. Remember traveling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, that's wonderful. Well, I, 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 I love this book and it, um, it, Actually, um, it, I, it felt to me like it should also maybe be a, like a series, like a, like adapted mm. for the screen as well. I don't know if you've yet. <laughs> thought of oh, yeah. That, that's so great to hear. You know, I, I would love to work with, with anyone who's interested. I wrote screenplay before. But I wrote it as a novel. Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, as, and it uh, feels like a novel too. I, I was, I was sort of hesitant to say it because, you know, because it absolutely works as a novel. But it's just funny because I think, I think because the characters are um, so vivid and they're all um, at different kinds of transitionary moments and so mm -hmm. you, you can you know you you just read it in the same way that maybe you would like binge watch <laughs> so you're like ah, this is what just happened and then this is what just happened so um yeah mm -hmm. but it it works as to binge read as well <laughs> yeah thank you and i think mr Tai is very entertaining mm -hmm. <laughs> yes yeah. a lot going on in, yeah um, yes on his How mind about himself about his family yes <laughs> i know he's quite he's quite funny and and to me very sympathetic yeah. <laughs> as a parent as a, as a, myself being a parent of 
of two teenagers, I was, I found myself very sympathetic with him. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, not very bright, <laughs> but uh, he has a lot of, um, yeah, he has a lot of heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's. How did he come to you as a, as a character? Oh, I saw him as an image. One day I just uh, saw this tailor wearing a long form fitting dress, walking heels with some difficulty. I didn't know what it meant. I asked myself, uh, does he want to be a woman or is he driven by something else? Mm. Wow. Interesting. And, and is this frequently the way work stories come to you as an image first or? Yes. They often come to me as an image. I, I grew up under censorship in China. For some reason, I don't trust a language mm. as much as I, you know, like some, like the writers who haven't, uh, live under a censorship. So when I saw an image, they come with all its truth intact. Then I too have, I have to solve that mystery. Like who is this tailor? Um, what drives him? Mm-hmm. So that's how I usually approach a story. Otherwise, if it just comes to me as language, it could be censored in some way. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. And um, do you write in English? I only write in English. I only write fiction in English. Yeah. And do you think that's, (laughs) is that partly that same impulse of, of like somehow feeling less censored? Yeah. I wanted to tell the truth, the whole truth. And uh, it's hard to do that in Chinese. Mm. And I learned to write fiction in English. So Mm. nowadays, if you want to write a story, even tell a story, I often conceive it in English uh-huh. and translate into Chinese. <laughs> it is, might be too. <laughs> is your work published oh, in, okay. in yeah. China? No. Um, actually, I uh, small pieces uh, mm-hmm. published in some collection, mm-hmm. but I did not publish uh, fiction. I published personal essays. Um, Well, I mean, we were talking about like one of the things that we absolutely loved about this book was the language, right? It's so clean and it's so engaging. Like you're not... Use the word buttery. I used the word buttery. (laughs) It's true. Um, And (laughs) I just, I just felt like drawn into the character uh, and, and having a sense of, of, I don't even know. It was like the language was clean enough to get to the story, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And um, I think that's a real skill, you okay. know. And so we were just really appreciating that because not everybody has that skill. And it's so interesting that that fiction is the place where, you know, you're going to write in English. So, um yeah, I think there's a, like a deep honesty in me when I tell a story. I, I, for some reason, I want to tell a true story. Not that they exist in the world or this happening mm. happen in the real world, but these people are have certain truth. You know, you can find these people on uh, fractions of him. Mm-hmm. And the people in my fiction often have free will. They kind of stand on their own feet and they do their own things. That surprised me as a writer. They mm-hmm. always rebel against my um, plot, and <laughs> reveal themselves and tell me something I don't know about them. All right. So now that begs the question, can you give us an example from, from this novel where you had a plan that your character opted to change? 
um, in this story, he doesn't really know what his son wants. Mm. He's working so hard to make him into someone that um, he thinks, you know, it's good for them to become an engineer because he works his entire life to make sure he doesn't live, a, he doesn't do a menial job like tailoring. Mm. And to his surprise that he ha- has inspired his son to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> Did that surprise you also? Yes. <laughs> I think I know the son wants to rebel, but I do not know why he wants to rebel. Yeah. But in a way, he admires his father. And uh, ultimately, that's the reason that he rebels against um, what he says. He says, mm-hmm. do this, uh, but he shows, give a different example. The son follows the other example. I thought that was so interesting about and kind of about parenting. Like, uh, you know, I want you to have all this, the opportunities I didn't have. And then sometimes that means, as is true with, with Fang, you know, with his mm-hmm. the son is that, um, well, one, it means he also didn't have to struggle. And some of that struggling builds character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we so want our children not to have to struggle and suffer the way that the way in the ways that we did. And then we often maybe deprive them of that sort of, challenge the the strengthening Mm -hmm. opportunity yes yes and they will always react to your teaching in some way uh, to show their own individuality i just think people are kind of like a mysterious unpredictable you you apply pressure in one way they will turn the other way but they're not gonna apple don't fall, fall far from the tree. You know, mm-hmm. they are your children. And you see this unbreakable bond despite all these conflicts mm-hmm. and tension. And in some way, with adolescent children, uh, the one they fight with the most, um, they actually could become the closest after they move away. It's good yeah. to know. That's good to know. <laughs> well, your kids are a little bit younger than mine. <laughs> yeah, but we... <laughs> yeah. But when I was, uh, I looked at my brother and, uh, you know, he fought a lot with my parents, but after he turned 30, he really, he became so close to them. He mm. just was an affectionate son. So I guess everything has a price. You need to go through that journey together. It's never easy, but mm-hmm. as long as you, you care about each other and everyone's fallible, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Kind of trying each other out and see who you find you found out who you really are as mm-hmm. a child and as a parent, as a human being. So mm-hmm. it's a good journey. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> And, you know, you have this constellation of characters and sort of looking at how uh, the father misunderstands his son when he first gets caught at the very beginning of the book. Um, With the pictures and, yeah, and the drawings of the Yeah, and, and sort of the introduction of the gay character and how what that means uh, and how how this is actually sort of a mystery to understand some each other in a way. Yeah. And... Um, I know. I said, I said. I said to Angie. Some in some ways, it reminds me of Patricia Highsmith, like you know, the <laughs> mystery writer, and then, but or, or like also like a little bit like Henry James, like the, those kind of you know deep character where you're with these characters, and there's there is a lot of subtlety about and kind of depth to the different possibilities and the different mm-hmm. ways they feel. Um, that's and I loved it, but yeah. 
Young, you, I remember when you came to Sonoma County Writers Camp to our authors panel that you talked about your writing process. And I remember finding it so fascinating, but I don't actually remember what it was anymore. I just remember that it was like, so we was like, wow, that was so interesting. Will you talk a little bit about your writing process? Yeah. Um, I guess you guys talk about Panther and uh, Plotter, right? Right, um, right. I will call myself a Panther. I usually do a very rough first draft just to see where the story wants to go. It always ends in a different place than I planned. Um, then with a new ending sight, I begin to plot. As I plot along, I push my characters a bit harder so they continue to act and reveal themselves to me. The story cannot stand still. It has to go somewhere. A surprising gesture or impulsive decision takes the story to a new direction. The characters are flesh and blood. Through the ups and downs, I discover the layers of the humanity. There's always a mystery that eludes me. That's why I keep writing. <sighs> and I love and admire my characters for all the difficulties I put them through and how they stand up to me, surprise me, and teach me something I don't know about them. I keep revising until they're strong enough to rebel. Then they become real. And the story is done. Do you like when you do a revision, is it, do you, are you editing or do you just put it down and start over? Um, I don't start over. I I'm editing. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by start over? <laughs> I'm, trying to remember, I'm trying to remember what it was. There was something that you said, and I was like, wow, what is that? So it was something about the process, but I don't remember. But you write a whole... So you're, I think you've talked about, um, gosh, what's her name? Jennifer Egan? No, who well, does yeah. her first draft yeah, and Jennifer, then starts And, and, and like Lauren Groff talks about sort of throw, like So like if you, and, once you do your rough draft, I have a hard time holding all that information in my head. Do you go and make an outline once you've done that? Or do you just kind of use it as an intuitive guide from there? Like do, yeah. I do do a chapter analysis. I mm. notes like, uh, oh yeah, I remember Nyla Shire. Uh, how do you say her last name? She says she makes a sing list. I do make a sing list oh, like that. Yeah. Oh, um, Nina Skyler. Yeah. Nina, Nina Skyler. Yeah. yeah. Um, then I look at the, so I tried holding my he head, the sing list in my head, because it's kind of hard to hold the, every detail in my head. Yeah. Although um, I actually wrote an essay called Beyond 20 Drafts. I'm like, I do 20 drafts. So Maybe that was it. <laughs> it was like that. close to that. It will come out uh, later this month uh, for millions. Oh, cool. But like um, when you do like 10th or 5th uh, revision, you, can't, you still cannot hold all the details in your head. So you mm -hmm. hold all the details of one chapter in your head and you hold the scene list in your head so you know where you are. Um, but toward the end of the revision, you do have to hold the whole book in your head. And that's really intense. It's very difficult. I mm -hmm. found that to be like uh, doing a surgery. You know, it's not like um, building a house. Doing the early, early revisions, it's like building a house. You put it in the rooms, you put on the floor and ceiling and the doors. And it's very exciting. Uh, it's a very dramatic work. But when you do the the developmental edits with the editor, it is very minute. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's like doing a surgery. You make a small change of gesture and everything kind of changes and it's really hard. So everything's just like a moving targets, but you still have to hold everything in your head. So I thought it was a learning experience. That's why mm-hmm. I wrote that essay called. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think maybe when I first heard you speak and you talked about 20 drafts, I was like, that's so, and now I've done like 80 drafts. Of a book. So I think I was like, yeah. You're getting so close. I would think. Yeah. Maybe I don't, maybe you I think. overshot. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yes. We um, joke about my metaphor for her work f- process is that she's sharpening a pencil down to the eraser. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and at some point she doesn't have a pencil left. So, but I'm so excited to read your book that after 80 revisions. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you hold everything in your head? Do you think? Um, I, I think that um, sometimes like if I'm taking time off from it, it'll float away a little bit, but when I'm really in it and after many drafts, yeah. And sometimes when I'm falling asleep at night, I'll run the story in my head, you know, just okay. like remembering sort of what happens and thinking about all of that. So yeah, eventually it gets, you're just living in it inside. Like it's a house and you're living inside it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did Jude come to you? The character of Jude? I, when I saw the tailor wearing women's dress, I knew this going to be a gay character somewhere. Yeah. I wanted to make Mr. Tai um, the, you know, the gay character, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I have to bring an outsider who is, mm. um, yeah, uh, not in this family and from a different culture and just exciting contrast with this tailor who's cooped up in his house. Mm-hmm. it's kind of like a world comes to him because <laughs> in a way that initial <laughs> yeah the initial image of, of mr kai was not is not in the book itself that initial image you had of him in a, no, in a dress no. so that's what i'm saying it, it's the embodiment of the story wow. it's it, it is just a mystery for me to set me on this journey to dis- discover what really happens with him mm-hmm. and what he really wants yeah I love that. Do you ever go and search intentionally of visual prompts? Like, uh, like, like an image, uh, an image is prompts a story for you. Do you ever think like, okay, I want to write a new story and I'm now like a look, I'm looking for an, Im- for an image. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's usually, uh, I'm thinking about people really hard. I think the fiction is about people. Uh, it's never about the ideas or what I believe in. Or even what I you know want to write, and that's the agenda. Uh, it could get dangerous, actually. So I I'm always curious about people. That that's what drives me to write. I think of some peop, some person that um, has character trait that I want to discover, or something I want to learn about. You know, like the gay character. I this side of him or this side of story I really want to investigate. Mm-hmm. So I just keep thinking about these people until something comes to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. It comes out of my subconscious. I was working with these characters uh, for a while, I guess, in other forms, not in a book. Mm-hmm. But they appear to me because I did the other work. <laughs> right. So I am... Um... 
one of my questions, and you answered it sort of by saying a while, but how long do you sit with characters before you can start writing that rough draft, or do you explore them through the rough draft? It's how complete I see them. If mm-hmm. I see uh, one action that looks promising, I can just start. Mm. I think that image of a tailor, that was just one image. That it's a pretty compelling image. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it roused my curiosity. And sometimes those images go away, then I can't, it doesn't sustain a book. Mm. This one, I, initially I brushed it aside. I, I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know this father. And why is he wearing a woman's dress? Mm-hmm. But it does not go away. Um, he just stays with me for a while. I realize I, there's something there that I start to go on journey with him. I realized I really want to write about Taylor. <laughs> and yeah. tailoring, I thought that was a very good metaphor. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. And then um, the other thing is that it's all it's all from his point of view, but all the characters are are so fully realized, and they all have their own agendas and they and their own mysteries, you know, yeah. to him and to each other. I think. And um, did you do anything? I mean, did, did you explore them in any other ways besides through his point of view? No, I decide to follow him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think it makes a story more mysterious. If everybody comes out, tell that why they do certain things, then it's actually uh, simpler that way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you say that because I do feel like I see an increasing number of people feeling like they have to add more points of view to a story. And, um, often I'll ask like, why, <laughs> like, what's your yeah. goal with that second perspective? And a lot of times it's just because they know the character really well. And so they feel like that person needs to have like a speaking part in a different way. And I, and I do think that there's a way in which we actually get much more depth, just as you said, through that single perspective, because it is more mysterious and, and we all have our own, uh, you know, biases to, towards the way we think and to what we assume is true about other people. And, um, those can help keep a reader, uh, misled, mm-hmm. uh, until the other character can reveal themselves in a different way. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I also like those multiple character, uh, story, but it doesn't always need one. <laughs> there are other ways to go around it. You can show through one character's eyes and uh, let that character be affected in a bigger way rather than it's very diffused. And you, then you're not sure if everyone goes has growth. You know, it's hard to see the effect on every person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's writer's decision, you know, what, yes, yes. what makes the writer happy and what journey the writer wants to go through. And I choose this journey. Mm-hmm. I do really like, though, the use of the word diffuse there, because I do think that there is a, a way in which, again, if you're with that single narrator, an unexpected response from a close character can say so much Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really make an emotional impact of, you know, in that reveal for both for the narrator or the point of view character and, and the reader and, and the reader. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this character, and and it's also set in the nineties, the nineteen nineties. Yes. <laughs> what, what was what made you choose that period? That's a time. That's actually an interesting time. Um, it's right after Tiananmen Square protests. China was opening up economically by closing down uh, culturally and politically, uh, completely mm. shut down. To this day, so it was a transitional time when China makes a transition from a, a develop, developing country toward, you know, to be more economically powerful. But in many ways, it still remains the same country that hmm. that's not opened up uh, culturally. So it's kind of working against what's happening in China today, like how open people are, how open-minded people are. Um, nowadays, um, China is very rich. Mm. But culturally, uh, this, it, the censorship, it pretty much locks down everything. You can't not say anything. <laughs> mm. It's going backward uh, from the 90s. So oh, wow. that was kind of like a pivotal moment that, where things start to change. Yeah. It's going down different roads. And what mm-hmm. the students wanted, uh, the kind of reform they wanted, it did not come. And actually it was shelved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah. I don't want to talk about political things. I want to focus yeah. on the uh, <laughs> individual because... yeah. But but it's part of the book. I mean, it is part of the book, and and yeah. and it's you know in terms of like even on just the level of of self expression, and it is interesting because there's a cross cultural look at like father son relationships, and mm-hmm. just and and the way that that question of like what do we expect of our children, you know, it's it's part of sexuality, it's part of career, it's you know all of those things. It's, so I think it's um it's a, it is an important part of the book. I think mm-hmm. yes. Yes, it's, it's important. That era is also an important part of me as a writer. I always have it in me. And mm-hmm. that's the era I want to explore. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It was exciting to me because I was like, oh, I'm sort of the same age as these characters. But I, <laughs> I was in college during Tiananmen Square. Yeah. And, you know, so uh-huh. just like, okay, right. That, you know, in a, I mean, and I actually was in China in 1988 or something as a teenager, but as a kind of as a tourist, um, or we were visiting family friends, but my father was lecturing there, but, um, so I haven't been back, but I, I know it's very changed. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you go? Um, we were in Beijing and Shanghai. Really. Okay. We were, my, my father, um, a, a, a professor from China came and was, was at our, at his, my father's lab in Berkeley, like in the seventies and eighties. Um, he came for three years actually and had twins, um, who were back in China. Um, so we went and visited them and, um, yeah. And then my father gave a talk and something, you know, you were a vegetarian and I was a vegetarian. So I, (laughs) yeah, I know there's a lot of like little funny overlaps with the book. (laughs) Maybe I met some of these characters. (laughs) See, like, like I said, this, like, um, these characters are real to extend, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For the pieces of characters are all real um, in, in the society. 
That's what yeah. I want to portray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some ways, the 90s is kind of like a good old days um, in terms of culture and, uh, and how open the society is. Mm. It's just kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always hope for ebbs and flows. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, it is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. Uh, what have you come across in your wanderings or readings that you would like to take and make your own? Um, Chelly, do you want us to start or would you like to start, Yang? Uh, I can start. <laughs> okay. I learned to write by stealing. So I steal all the time, not just from books, but also from movies, conversations, anything that has a narrative. But I don't steal from everyone. I mostly steal from the writers I really liked. And writers a bit like myself, but do something better. I read a wonderful story collection, Lava Falls by Lucy Jane Bledsoe. She was on your show before, and she's yeah. a good friend. <laughs> I loved her description of nature, physical mm. activities, and strong characters who are surprising but always believable. She fixes intense gaze on her characters that reveals a particular strength and vulnerability. I saw a kind of exuberance in her gaze that also in her characters. I want to steal her exuberance. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I I will tell you what I want to steal from from your beautiful book, My Good Son. Um, Although I don't know, I have, I was, I've, I don't know how to do it yet, <laughs> but um, it, it, fe- it felt perfectly paced um, mm-hmm. and, and not just, you know, scene by scene, but, but even line by line. And that was sort of where I felt like it had this ha- sort of Henry Jamesian feeling of like really knowing how to narrate a story where we're, we're always in the room with the character, but also he's observing, you know, he's observing the other characters, he's observing the world, he's observing his own reactions, they're shifting. So it's, but it's never complicated, except for how how I describe it. (laughs) It's, 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 it always feels like, um, oh, this is just the next place to go, like the foot, you know, the foot step where your foot should land. And yet as a writer, you, you don't know, you know, what is the exact next place to step or if that's a solid place to land. So to get there with a draft where it feels very authentic and it's flowing like that, but it, but it feels um, very confident. I just loved, I loved Mm -hmm. that. Thank you. I'm so flattered. (laughs) (laughs) I actually want to pause my steal this and ask what's the next project on your docket? Like, What's next that, that um, is going on? I have a finished novel. I want to get it out. Then mm-hmm. I want to start to write a new book, and which is pretty intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> the first draft. Um, right. I, I think it's too early uh, mm-hmm. to that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't have to. I was just, you know, again, we just so enjoyed it, and I wanted to make sure people were keeping not just this book in mind, but the... The next, so we're all ready for what comes next. (laughs) Did you finish the book during this pandemic time or or earlier? I revised this book during the pandemic. It really Mm. helps that I I was cooped up. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know what it feels like now. Right. (laughs) It helps to write about a middle-aged man uh, who is not myself. I feel like I could give 
the space, you know, mm-hmm. I can slow down. I don't have to rush. Like mm-hmm. I am in real life uh, as a mother, <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't have the luxury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, um, how can, how can readers find your work and, and track what they, you know, can connect to you in social media or all of that? Uh, I have a website. It's yangkwang.com. It's my name. Uh, Y-A-N-G-H-U-A-N-G.com. The book's almost available. You can order it uh, online or from your local independent bookstore. Booksmith and Folio Books in San Francisco will carry it. Um, you can pre-order now. Um, please come to my odd Monday's reading on June 7th at Folio or virtual launch on June 9th at Booksmith. The events are free. You need to register to get the Zoom links. I'll be in conversation with Caitlin Solomini. I hope you enjoy this story and see a bit of yourself in the characters. <laughs> definitely. Excellent. Definitely. Those sound like wonderful events. Yes. There's, yeah, there's a lot. And those, of- those links will be in the show notes. Yeah. So that if you're just listening to this as you're driving, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry. You can yeah, we'll, we'll pull make- over safely at a different moment <laughs> and, and get your and links. I'll yeah. put all the links in, yes. So thank you yeah. so much, Young. It was just wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth and Angie. I admire your work and I would love to see your film someday, Angie. Um, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> One day. <Yes. laughs> 